I was thinking of the words of how great thou art. When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, and wonder how often we consider all the worlds thy hands have made. And uh, even just last night, we were as a family on a walk, and we saw some sort of star kind of shining brightly in the night. We're like, I wonder what star that is. And we live in an area where you can pull up an app on your phone that does constellations, and you can kind of compass it and look around and figure out what kind of lights you're looking at. Uh, but as someone who grew up around a lot of big cities, I didn't grow up in a, in a place where it was easy to look around at the at what was beyond earth and the stars. It was often too bright. And so um, you might not know that there are some planets that we can see with our visible eyes and there are some that are too far away and it's a little bit too faint. And on the edge of that is the planet Uranus. It's an ice giant planet with temperatures that get down to the negative 300s, which is just hard enough to imagine <laughs> as is. But this planet is on the edge of what is able to be seen. And so I was reading Paul Wallace's book, Love and Quasars, and he talks about what you have to do to see this planet. And you need that dark sky, so you, you don't need to be near cities with, with the kind of light pollution. You gotta get away, and there needs to be low humidity, no moonlight. Uh, you should have some good vision, right? And you got to know where to look. You know, if you don't know where to look in the sky, you're never going to find it. But what's interesting is that even with all of those factors, you can't see Uranus unless you have a very specific way of looking for it. It's a technique called averted vision. If you try to look directly at the planet, it will disappear and you will never see it. You have to look beside it. And it has to do with the phenomenon of how our eyes are designed, that there's rods and cones in the back of your eye. The cones can see color and it can see bright lights. And so most of the time during the day we're using those cones, but when it gets dark enough, your eyes start seeing through the rods and the rods can't see color and they're very low light kind of sensitive. And what's interesting is if you try to look directly at Uranus, you are looking at something bright and so your cones try to see it but it then, like your eyes adjust and you can't see the planet. So you have to look beside the planet into the darkness of space and from the peripheral of your eye, there the planet emerges. But if you react instinctively and turn your eyes right at the planet, it's gone again. You can only look with this kind of averted vision of looking peripherally to see the planet. And the planet is named um, from the Greek word, Uranus, which can be the skies or the heavens, and in their kind of Greek pantheon, a god of the skies or the heavens kind of emerges in their pantheon. But there's something about not necessarily easily being able to see heaven by just looking straight at it. We often have to look at the world around us, look at the people around us. We see other things in our lives that point us towards heaven, and just peripherally we might get a glimpse of who God is. And so in our story today from Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is traveling from Beersheba to Haran, and he spends the night in a location, and he has to actually completely close his eyes to have a vision of where he's actually at. And so he's traveled there, he's seen it, he's probably looked around to see, is this a safe place to, to be? And Genesis writes, 
He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head. It doesn't sound super comfortable, but it's maybe better than nothing. Put a stone under his head and he lay down in that place. And when he closes his eyes, he has a vision and it continues. And he dreamed there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to the heavens. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. And so Jacob comes to a realization in the story and he comes to awe. And the first realization we see when he wakes up from his sleep, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. How often do we have that same experience? We can know in our heads, sure, God's everywhere, but we were in a place and we didn't realize God was there. And Jacob then experiences and expresses that awe of that realization. It says, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There, this, this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. How wonderful it is to have that kind of realization that any place that you might stop to see where God's at and say, how awesome is this place? That experience of awe is something that we don't often, we don't talk about maybe as much as we should. And it's actually interesting that science didn't study awe that often. Uh, it, it hasn't been until the 2000s that research about kind of psychology and, and like what's going on when humans experience awe, uh, that studies started to really emerge and in 2003, uh, two psychologists wrote this kind of conceptual approach of how do I understand awe, uh, which has kind of been the starting place for much of research after it. And they suggested that awe, something that's hard to put words to, they're trying to help us get some words for what's happening in awe. Awe has two phenomena, vastness and a need for accommodation. That second part, I'm just going to say it's mind-blowing. But vastness, that something about awe is seeing something bigger than everyday life, than normal, than expected. And we can usually jump initially very quickly to spatial vastness. If you go to the Grand Canyon, you go to Niagara Falls, you go to these kind of natural moments where the grandness of this place leaves you in awe because something is bigger than you could even imagine. And you can go bigger, right? What on earth is it like to be an astronaut getting towards the moon and looking back on the earth and seeing all of the earth below you? Or what is it to be you know, like Neil Armstrong and, and walking around on the moon? Or what is it to imagine the spatial distance of all these planets and how massive the sun is and, and the distance between the stars and the galaxy and the distance between galaxies and galaxies? The vastness of our world leaves us in awe. And sometimes we get little glimmers of it. But it's not just spatial vastness that leaves us in awe. You might have been left in awe about um, the talent of somebody, that their skill was bigger than you could imagine. And you've seen an artist paint, whether it's a portrait of someone or, or, or some sort of artwork in which you're like, 
How can you do that? It, it just leaves you with beauty. Uh, maybe it's someone's, uh, their spirit. You know, that, that person who's fighting cancer and has the courage and the bravery and the strength to keep fighting every day, and that that courage and strength moves you to awe. There's all sorts of vastness, and sometimes it's in the smallest things, that the scientist looking in the microscope at these little cells moving around and the dance that is uh, microscopic life can leave you in this vastness of beauty and awe. What awe also does, besides just that vastness, though, is it, it, it needs accommodation of our minds, that our, our minds are, are blown away, and we have to think, what do I do with this information? What do I do with how big this experience is? How awesome is this place? Because we often kind of puff ourselves up, and we live our daily lives, we feel like we understand what's going on, but having an experience of awe leaves us rethinking things. What is my place in the universe? What am I able to do? What, who am I in the midst of all of this? And usually what happens is, is we start to see ourselves a little bit smaller because we see something else big, but we gain in that moment some sort of connection that we realize we're a part of something bigger. And so in the midst of feeling smaller, we actually feel bigger because we are connecting to something greater, whether that's people, God, this physical world. But we're in this midst of how do I make sense of this experience? How do I change from it? And it's a changing experience. And sometimes we want to stop before the changing experience of it all. We just want to bask in the bigness of, of whatever we're experiencing but not live any differently, not be changed by it. Uh, but Jacob, in that scene, has a dream that this place that I've never heard of, that I've never known, somehow God's here too. And this is like a gateway to heaven. There's this ladder and you can go up and down and God's in this place. How awesome is this place? And we think about moments where we've seen that awe. Maybe one of the big ones, I think it's been about three years now, uh, when the kind of total solar eclipse came across the country and people wanted to get out and see a moment of how grand things can be. And there's a lot of health concerns of make sure you've got your glasses and things like that to appropriately <laughs> to observe this eclipse. Um, but it's a very small zone that the total eclipse happens where the shadow is most intense of the moon. And it's even a marvel that we even get to experience things like a total eclipse the sun is 400 times larger than the moon, and yet the moon looks like it covers it because it's about 400 times closer than the sun. And so for that small place that gets this total eclipse moment, everyday life, can you even imagine this moment before there's science and technology telling you that it's coming? But just people walking about their daily life and suddenly the shadow coming over the sun. And when there's this total eclipse, suddenly... The birds stop singing, flowers start closing up like it's night, and this strange sense of awe that not just you get to experience, but the animals, the plants, the whole world is experiencing that awe in that same moment. And it only lasts three minutes. You don't get to spend forever there. That three minutes might feel really long uh, as time kind of stands still. But you're left in this image where you can look 360 degrees around you and it looks like there's either a sunrise or a sunset all around you. 
Uh, the, all of the horizon has this light, but you're in the darkness. And it leaves you with an awe of how vast the world is. And what, what does that do to us? How do we realize our relationship with the world around us? And it's hard to talk about it. Of like, Now with technology, you can go watch YouTube videos of it and things like that. You can see what it's like. But it's not the same as actually experiencing it. You know, you, if you experience it, it's just different. And it gets challenging, though, when we have those experiences of how do we talk about them? How do I convey what just happened to me? How do I convey this reality I've experienced? And to use some examples from stories that we've done in the series on faith and science, when Moses goes to the burning bush and, and, and realizes God's presence, he immediately realizes his smallness and the, the, the grandness of God. And he's like, you might not have noticed, but how am I supposed to be a spokesperson for you? Who's ever going to listen to me? How am I ever going to talk well enough to talk about this? How do I share this story with people? And, and last week, we talked about Peter and Cornelius, in which Peter's Bible said certain things are unclean and certain people are unclean, and he has a vision about God and all animals are clean, and then Cornelius' friends show up, and he goes with them to Cornelius' house, and he preaches the gospel to Gentiles, and the Spirit moves in their lives, and they say, well, you know, what should keep us from baptism? And let's baptize you. They baptized these Gentiles. They, weren't, they didn't have to go through circumcision and the covenant the way that they were used to. But then Peter's got to go talk to people about what just happened. And there's actually a chapter of Acts of a council of people from the Jerusalem church, of people from Damascus like Paul coming together and saying, what do we do with what God has done in the world? And not everybody there will understand it. Not everybody there will accept it. But Peter is forever changed, and Moses is forever changed, and their ministries and their calling, they feel the passion of it, they feel the realness of it, but that doesn't mean everyone they encounter will do the same. And so uh, if you've experienced the awe of encountering God, you might have experienced the challenge of how do I share that story with anybody, of how, how do I, I know that I have to be different, but how do I get anyone else to change along with me? and the struggle and the wrestling with that of what do I do with this experience of awe. I want to tell a story um, that if you want to know the full story, uh, you can go read his book. He goes by the the, the name Science Mike, and we'll talk a little bit about why that is. Uh, But he has a book called Finding God in the Waves. And I want to tell his story not because it just matters about his story, but there are other people's stories that are like his that we might not notice, that we might not see uh, who we should think about and who we should be concerned for in the world. So Mike kind of explains himself as when he was eight years old, he, he was uh, overweight in comparison to the kids around him, and he was bullied and ridiculed and made fun of. And he grew up in a church environment, in a family, and so on the playground, he would walk away from the kids, stay away, And he would spend time praying to God in the midst of being bullied. And so Jesus and God became a best friend to Mike. Someone that was safe, that he could take refuge in. And so Mike's life, he grew up in the church. He um, was a deacon in his 20s at his Southern Baptist Church where his dad was a worship leader. 
His world got rocked when his dad came home one day and, and described and explained that he was going to be divorcing uh, the, their mom and going to be leaving. And there's a whole trail of that conversation that we could talk about in his experience. Uh, but Mike's response was like, I don't see, you know, you say you're a Christian. I don't see where you can go that route. And so that led Mike to reading the Bible. Mike was like, what does the Bible say about things? And so he read the Bible four times that year. And he was struck within verses of, wait, what does this mean? And when we talked earlier in the series about science and the relationship with faith, he got to all these verses that, things like the firmament, like there's this solid structure holding up the water of the skies. And he's like, but there's no solid structure. And his church environment had not been conducive to him asking questions, him exploring faith and science. And so in the midst of that year, he became a closeted atheist, still being a deacon in his church, still leading his daughter to Christ, but not having a place to actually describe the challenges his faith was going through, and that he ended up in a place where he's like, I just can't believe any of this. And first, just think about the tragedy of the fact that he's going through all this and never feels like it's safe to talk about it in his church environment. And so, Science Mike has, he, he does, he loves computers, exploring science and whatnot. Uh, he got invited to go to NASA as a kind of a Twitter influencer that deals with science. He had this trip planned, and he learned about another Christian speaker who was going to be speaking there, and he got invited to it, and he's like, okay, I'll stay a couple days and I'll go to this conference. He's in this conference, and he's, and he's hearing about um, some creative ways to talk about faith, and then the speaker starts talking about science and what science, where it can get us to and what it can't quite answer. And hearing all of this, he, Science Mike keeps getting frustrated and at the end of the talk there's this kind of Q&A time and he stands up and he says, I don't think anybody who believes, who understands how the, the universe works can believe anything of what you said and he like attacks a bunch of stuff that the, the speaker had been saying. And it's a room full of pastors and other Christian leaders and the speaker of the conference, Rob Bell, responded not with defensiveness, but thanked him and said, thank you for sharing that. We needed to hear that. How often we can't feel courageous enough to just listen and to not have our own faith feel like it's under attack where I have to just lash out. And so he redirected and he said, you know, you don't, you know, you've mentioned things like that you, you won't share anybody. It's just your mom and your wife are the only people who know that you're uh, an atheist. You know, that there feels like there's something there. And, and you know, you, you keep in being engaged at church. You know, you don't seem to be acting like someone who um, really doesn't believe any of this at all. And so he said, I just want you to imagine all of the questions that you have, all of the doubts, all the struggles, if you could just put that in a, in a bucket and just for now label that bucket, God, of all of these questions about our, who are we in the universe, where do we come from, just whatever questions that still remain for you, at least just for the moment, think about God there. And that is enough right now.
just hold on to a little glimpse of God. And for a moment, he describes himself as feeling that feeling like God was with him again. And it was just fleeting for a second. But later on in that conference, they offered up communion. And he's thinking all the social pressure of, which he's been living with for a year or two. Do I take communion? They all know that I don't believe. And they're going to feel like this is this hoorah story of like, we got the atheist in the room to take communion. And he's like, I just don't, ah, what do I do here? And in the midst of it, he decides, I'm going to go take communion. And on the way up, he says he sees Rabel's eyes turning red. And he didn't realize that in the moment, he himself was crying. That he was so unaware of himself in that moment that his friends had to tell him later that what he was going through. And in that experience that night, he, he loved saying something like, I hate that this is a part of my story because I like to be very rational. But he's like, I heard the words of God say, I was with you when you were eight and I am with you now. And that's what leads to those tears and that crying of the, the boy that was bullied, the boy that wasn't treated right. You are also growing up into people who get bullied and who are mistreated. And to find the safety of God being willing to listen and, and absorb your doubts and your challenges and your frustrations. And he went out from there and kind of, he said he ran out of the place at the end of it. And in the hotel it was near the ocean and he's standing on the edge of the shore, kind of throwing his frustrations and shouts and praying to God and saying, I don't know what I can keep and what I can hold on to, but I will try. I will continue to know that you are there. I'm going to struggle with this. I don't know what I'll end up being, but I'm, I will be here. Thank you for being here. And in the midst of his kind of wrestling with, the, with God at the ocean, then the shore, the, the waves crash up and crash over his ankles. And he's reminded of the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples that he had heard that night. And he's like, I can explain how waves happen. I can explain certain things. But like in that moment, I felt God's presence and that was enough. Too often in our churches. We want to imagine everyone is at the finish line of faith, that they've perfected everything, that they believe every single tiny little detail. And when we do that, we don't open up the space to those who obviously can't be at the finish line on day one. And I wonder how many of our people like Mike, deacons, board members, choir members, Sunday school teachers, how many people actually are struggling and wrestling through faith questions and feel like they can't just voice those. There's something about awe of inviting people to see the grandness of God, to see the grandness of this world that invites us to wrestle with that there's a bigger question, that there's something more, and maybe that can be enough for right now. Continue on, wrestle with it, walk the journey of faith with us, but we don't have to have everything figured out because we will never fully figure out the grandness of God. But it is okay to explore that with us uh, and we will walk with you.
in this grand, vast story that God has, is, is laying out over uh, the time periods and the space uh, of all human history. And so I, I want you to think about, in this story about Jacob, he has this experience of God in this awesome place. And sometimes when we have those awesome moments, we feel like, oh, that place is special. But hear this word from Genesis. God says to Jacob, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. It's not just about that place, it's everywhere. And like Mike heard, I was with you when you were eight years old, I'm with you now. How do we learn to look kind of sometimes with that averted vision, I'm looking tangentially, I'm looking partially to the side, but I can see God here and I can marvel at God's goodness and love and beauty. And how do we learn to see the world with those eyes? And so today I want to invite you to let the vastness of the human experience rush over you. Um, There's a vastness of danger and threats and evil you know, there's an there's a awe about seeing a hurricane or a tornado or threats. Some of us need to let down the barriers to see the pain that people are experiencing. Like, at what point do numbers not even register for us? When you read that there's over 200,000 who have died to COVID, if you gave a one-minute moment of silence to each person who had died and you didn't sleep, you didn't do anything else other than give a minute of silence to each person, you would be giving a moment of silence until February. And that's not even counting people who could die in the meantime. The kind of violence experienced throughout the world, the kind of hunger experienced throughout the world, there is more pain and aching than what we know what to do with and we create barriers so we don't have to encounter it or experience it or see it. And so I'm inviting you to just let those barriers down to be swept over with the awe that is the story of the world that is bigger than what we let it be in our lives. Just as the story of pain is bigger, the story of beauty and God's goodness is bigger. So I want you to think about all of the struggles you have of where you've failed, where you've messed up, where you've not listened, where you've not been patient, where you've been angry, whatever the struggles and the painful moments that you've had, all of those bad things are still small in comparison to the goodness and love of God. That God's grace and mercy can wash over your feet and cleanse you. That God's love is bigger than your sin. And that when you are faced with the awe of whatever it is that you are experiencing, would you have the openness to see God out of the peripheral of your vision and to say yes to God, that every moment is the opportunity to see God at work in the world and respond in kind. God, I don't know all of the answers, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to follow after you. And for some people, that might be for the first time. If you've never actually ever said, God, I, I don't understand, but I accept your love, even when I don't love myself, even when I feel the ridicule of others, even when I've messed up, I accept your grace and love for me, and I will say yes to you. If you've never done that, and if you want to be a part 
of that life journey, that faith journey, uh, we'd love to uh, talk with you more about that and to walk with you on that journey with God. If you've been on that journey, but maybe you were like Science Mike where I'm struggling, I'm I'm doubting, I, I don't know what's going on in the world, there is the opportunity to reach out, to ask questions. I hope that not just today, but like we can be 30 years down the road and I don't know if it's Facebook or what random company might exist or what kind of communications that we do. Uh, You can always reach out to me with honest questions, with whatever you're you're struggling with. Um, I would love to be a listening presence and invite you uh, to contemplate God in the midst of those struggles. But let God's vastness and goodness rush over you and let down the walls and the barriers. And so uh, maybe today is a day where you might say yes, that the vastness of God might lead to that change, that mind-blowing moment of I can't see the world the same, I can't be the same. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, Many in the church would say that you are present, but Lord, I ask that you would help us to experience that presence. Help us to have eyes to see your glory in our lives. Help us to have eyes to see uh, the beauty and the life that you grow out of the dirt and out of the soil that life springs forth from you. Lord, I ask that you would be with us to be a safe place of non-judgment, but of an invitation into your presence. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves and with you, and help us to experience the world as you see it with love. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen.